Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Cook puts it down. Patterson's kick is up. The field goal is good! 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 The Jaguars have won it! The Jaguars have won it! They have come back from 27-0 to win the game and move on! How good is that? <laughs> Frank Frangie on the call, Jaguars Radio. That was the scene Saturday night at TIAA Bank Field. I still can't believe it. I'm not sure if you can either. 27 points down, four. Trevor Lawrence interceptions, a ball that hit Chris Claybrooks on the head that caused another turnover on punt. The Jaguars, the first team in the history of the NFL postseason to be minus five in the turnover ratio and win a game. The third largest comeback in the history of the National Football League and the Jacksonville Jaguars, who on November the 13th, that was a Sunday afternoon, in Arrowhead Stadium, walked off the field that day, losing a game 27-17, falling to 3-7 and on the year. This Saturday, they will return to Arrowhead Stadium almost 10 weeks after that, having won seven out of eight since that game and getting a rematch against the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Divisional Playoffs. A very good Monday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us as, uh, my goodness, the Jacksonville Jaguars, one of the most memorable football games the Jaguars have ever played. One of the games that we will be talking about for years down the road. How did it happen? Why did it happen? And what does it mean? We got a lot to get into tonight. We're glad you're with us. A lot of guests coming up tonight. We'll kick things off with Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. He's got an interesting perspective on everything that transpired on Saturday night here in Jacksonville. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, 20 minutes away. Later on, closer to 9 o'clock, a little Monday night coaching with Campo, our man Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. We'll get his thoughts on the game last Saturday, and we will begin looking ahead to a return trip to Arrowhead Stadium to take on the Kansas City Chiefs. And at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union as we talk more Jaguars and Chargers and again take a brief look ahead to the Jaguars and the Chiefs. Every night here on Hacker After Dark we do kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal on Hacker After Dark. It is an enormous deal. 
An absolutely enormous deal. After tonight, there will be eight teams left in the National Football League. 24 teams will be, have already gone home and begun their offseason. And the Jacksonville Jaguars, for only the fifth time in franchise history and only the second time this century, well, take that back, the second time this decade, how about that, have advanced to the divisional round of the AFC playoffs. 1996, 1999, 2007, 2017, and now in 2022. Five times in 28 years. And that's it, that the Jaguars have been the divisional round. The third time this century, 07, 17, and now here in 22. And of course, go back to 96 and 99. The Jacksonville Jaguars in their last five home games were losing to the Las Vegas Raiders 17-0. We're down 19-10 to Baltimore. They were down 10-0 to Tennessee. They were down 27-10 to Dallas. And last Saturday, they were down 27-0 to the Los Angeles Chargers. I believe that's 80 points. 80 points over a span of five games is what the Jaguars have been down to five different teams, including a playoff team in Baltimore when Lamar Jackson was healthy, including a playoff team in Dallas, and obviously including a playoff team in the Los Angeles Chargers. And all five times, the Jaguars not only mounted fierce comebacks, but the Jaguars would ultimately win the game. It is a testament to Doug Peterson. It is a testament to this coaching staff. And it is a testament to the players. You know, the never give up mindset has been ratcheted up three, four, five times here in Jacksonville. The fact that they're still playing, I mean, they're losing with three minutes to go to Tennessee in the AFC South championship game. They found a way to win. They're losing the entire game to Justin Herbert and Khalil Mack and Derwin James and Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen and Joey Bosa and the Chargers. And the first time they take the lead was as time expired in the fourth quarter. The fans, again, absolutely incredible. Two weeks in a row. College-like atmospheres, heck, maybe better than college atmospheres. Just insane asylums at TIA Bank Field in the win over the Titans and in the win over the Chargers. And the excitement in this city, it feels like 1996 again. It feels like 1999 again. But here's the beauty in this. Here's the best part. This is just the beginning You have a 23-year-old quarterback that in his first playoff game ever threw four interceptions, four, not one, not two, not three, but four, and instead of tucking tail and going in the corner and saying, well, this is over, we'll see you next year, 
the fight that Trevor Lawrence showed, not to mention the hunger he worked up at the Waffle House on Beach Boulevard, you want to talk about legendary status? Oh, as if winning that game wasn't legendary status, to go break bread at the Waffle House at Sunday morning at 2.30 a.m. Can't get much better than that. What a night for Trevor. What a night for this city. What a night for this organization. What an absolute embarrassment to the Los Angeles Chargers. I'll tell you the narrative I don't like already, and I've heard it all day. All day. Ah, It wasn't so much what the Jaguars did. It was the Chargers' lack of execution. Bad clock management, right? The Chargers just gave it to him. I went on a radio interview. It's already started this week. And I love the guys out in Kansas City. We're going to have a few of them on this week here on Hacker After Dark. But I already did a radio interview in KC earlier this afternoon. Well, Ryan, when the Jaguars left here, they were 3-7. and They've won 7 out of 8. That's impressive. But did the schedule ease up? Did they play lackluster competition? You know, yeah, the Jaguars only lost by 10 points here at Arrowhead, but truthfully, it should have been 25 or 30. And I'm just kind of like acknowledging it, yeah. You know, what am I going to do? I'm not going to argue with them on their show. That would be less than polite in our little world of sports radio. So I'm just kind of acknowledging it. And then this is the kicker. And this wasn't the host. This was the fans of the show and the fans out in Kansas City. He said, well, a lot of fans out here think that they should have beat Jacksonville pretty handily in November. And that's the uh, feeling again. That it won't be very hard on Saturday. They haven't watched the same Jaguar team I have. They haven't watched the same Jaguar team I'm sure you guys have. Well, lack of respect on a Monday. We just found out about this game last night. We weren't even sure who the Jaguars were going to play. And then Huntley fumbles the ball. Who's at Hubbard, returns it 99 yards for the touchdown, just breaking the back of Baltimore. And at that point, you knew Cincinnati was likely going to Buffalo and Jacksonville was officially going to Kansas City. And it hasn't even been 24 hours. According to sports radio folks out in Kansas City, the fans out there think this is no big deal. Kind of sounds like the Charger fans last week, doesn't it? I know it sounds like the Titan fans two weeks prior. Look, we're going to talk all about this game. We got to review the Charger game. And we got plenty of time to talk about Kansas City. But do you realize that that game between Kansas City and Jacksonville is now scheduled on January the 21st. I put this on social media earlier. Jaguar fans, quickly, January the 21st. Does that ring in your mind somewhere? The date January 21st, does that mean anything to you? The Jaguars and the Chiefs will play a game on the five-year anniversary of Miles Jack wasn't down. January 21st, 2018 
was the AFC Championship game in Foxborough. January 21st, 2023, will be the divisional playoff in Kansas City. Why do I bring that up? Because what has Doug Peterson and this team done this year? They've ended streaks. They've ended bad parts of Jaguar history. When was the last true road game they won before this year? December 2019, that's over. When was the last time they beat an NFC team? What, five years ago? That's over. When was the last time they went to Nashville? Beat the Titans in Nashville, 2013. That's over. When was the last time they won the division? 2017. That's over. When's the last time they won a playoff game? 2017. Again, that's over. Now you get a chance to end a great... A great one that we've talked about for five years. On the five-year anniversary of Miles Jack wasn't down, you go to Arrowhead. I'll tell you something else that's fitting. Remember when the wheels came out from the Jaguar organization when the bottom dropped out? You could argue it was week five, 2018. The Jaguars coming off that AFC championship run Remember, they started 2018 3-1. 3-1. Where did they go in week five? They went to Arrowhead and got embarrassed. That was the game where Bortles threw the ball and hit his O-lineman in the head, bounced up and was intercepted. And from that point, after that loss to Kansas City, you could argue after week five of 2018, the Jaguars just weren't the same franchise for the last four years. You could legitimately argue that. Fast forward to this year. November 13th, 2022, you're in Arrowhead. Again, you lose to go to three and seven. I don't care what you say, because I've had people call me out and say, oh, no, hacker, I thought this. I, I don't believe you. At 3-7 and seven on November 13th, walking off the field at Arrowhead Stadium, no one thought this team would return to Arrowhead two months later in the AFC Divisional Playoff. No one. And if you tell me you did, I'm sorry. I don't believe you. But that's the situation the Jaguars are in. They get to go back to Arrowhead on the five-year anniversary of Miles Jack wasn't down. And they have another opportunity to shock the football world. And why do they have that opportunity? Because they just pulled off the third biggest comeback in the history of the NFL playoffs. They're the first team in the history of the NFL to be minus five turnover ratio ratio in a playoff game and win. Team of destiny? I don't know. I don't like that term. I don't even know what it means. But at this point, if you don't acknowledge, there is some strange things going on, man. Strange things. 27-10, down to Dallas, five minutes to go in the third. They win the game. Remember, Bortles fumbled with 90 seconds to go. Game was over. Won the game. Drive the length of the field, get the two-pointer for the win against that Baltimore Raven defense. Go to Nashville and win. 
come back from 27-0 down against the Chargers. I don't know what a team of destiny is. I don't know what the exact definition of that is. But I know there's some strange things going on in Duval County this year. And am I going to sit here and say they can't go to Arrowhead and win? Absolutely not. I told you last week, the term they can't no longer applies to this Jaguar football team. No longer applies. 641-1010 is the phone number if you want to get involved on the program, on the text line, or on the phone lines. You are more than welcome to do so. Super Wild Card Weekend ends tonight. We'll keep you updated. Dallas and Tampa Bay just kicked off. Dallas with the ball. They have it third and long. As again, we're less than a minute into the game. We'll keep you updated. The winner heads to San Francisco this Sunday. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Let's talk Jags Chargers. Let's talk the comeback. Let's look ahead to Kansas City with Brian Sexton. That's that's next on a Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark. By the way, real quick, wanted to just say thank you. I'm having such a case of, uh, I don't even know, it's deja vu. I don't know what it is, Denmark. We did the fifth quarter yesterday, right? Yesterday. That was forever ago. It was 1.30 a.m. to 3.30 a.m. on Sunday morning which officially is yesterday, it feels like a week ago that we did that show. But we put that show on YouTube. We got thousands of people that have viewed that show. On from 1.30 a.m. to 3.30 a.m., we had loaded phone lines the entire show. Jacksonville, Florida, you were amazing during the fifth quarter when at 3 in the morning loaded phone lines and we can't thank you enough here at 1010xl and 92.5 fm brian sexton jaguars.com next on hacker after dark now another interview on the farrah and farrah phone line brought to you by the accident attorneys at farrah and farrah back here on 1010xl and 92.5 fm in the city of jacksonville we are glad you are with us the jaguars and the Chiefs, Saturday, 4.30. You'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Let's talk to a man that's worked with the Jaguar organization since they opened the doors. His name is Brian Sexton. You see him now on Jaguars.com. Brian, how we doing, man? Good, Ryan. How are you? Brian, we're good. Um, okay. Summarize Saturday night last week, um, 48 hours ago, about this time, your thoughts on what we saw at TIAA Bankfield? Well, I'll tell you this, Ryan. At halftime, I was writing my quick thoughts, and I said, now I know how the Dolphins felt, right? Because this weekend was the 23rd anniversary of 62-7. to And I'll always remember that as, as, as the most fun game I have ever called because everything went the Jaguars' way. I mean, everything. And when the ball bounced off of Chris Claybrook's helmet, to set up a chip shot field goal for the Chargers, I just started, well, now I know how the Dolphins felt. You know, here's the other side of it. Um, so I didn't, I, at halftime, I, how could you think that they were going to be able to overcome five turnovers, which no playoff team in league history had ever done? I didn't think there was enough 
I didn't think there was enough time. I thought the Chargers were going to come back, focus on the ground game with Austin Eckler. I thought that Herbert would be efficient like he had been, finding the check down on third down. Well, that isn't what happened. They ran the ball seven times in the second half. Trevor Lawrence continued the hot streak from that last drive. You realize he threw a touchdown pass, including the last drive of the first half on four straight drives, and they scored the field goal to win the game on the fifth. So they took the horrendous beginning, and Trevor Lawrence made it a heroic ending. Um, Frankly, I'm still shocked that we're getting ready for Kansas City this week because the improbability of coming from behind 27-7 to on a day that you turn the ball over five times is epic. It's epic. What an amazing amazing game there's no doubt about that you talk about trevor lawrence i mean four interceptions and i think he had completed nine passes for like 40 yards in the first half at one point he was throwing the ball you know three and four yards down the field only on the ones he was completing and then with about two minutes to go in the second uh, quarter the chargers have a third and one and they inexcusably ran like a wide receiver reverse that was fumbled right they recovered but they had to punt the ball to jacksonville And I thought, okay, if the Jaguars drive the ball and score here, maybe it's at least interesting in the second half. And, Brian, from that point, the two-minute warning of the second quarter on, that might as well have been John Elway or Dan Marino out there. I mean, Trevor was essentially flawless in the last 32 minutes. Well, if you go back and you look at at the the Raiders game where they fell behind, you know, 17 to nothing, he led that drive at the end of the half. You know, the very same thing he did in Kansas City the next week, even though they lost that ballgame. It became commonplace for him over the second half of the season to get this team going at the end of the first half, and he did it again. So I thought maybe they could make it interesting. I I, I didn't know he could keep it going like that. And I, um, I just, I'm stunned, stunned that the Chargers didn't see what was possible and just kind of thought, well, we'll just keep doing what we want to do and didn't adjust at all. And, I mean, here we are. It was um, Trevor Lawrence is a special quarterback. I think all of us thought he was going to be eventually. That time is now. You know, look, there's been some unbelievable plays in Jaguar history. You were on the call for, you know, the Clyde Simmons interception of the shovel pass in Buffalo, the Brunel run in Denver, the Garrard run in Pittsburgh. I'm not exactly sure where this play goes on, you know, the list, but I would have to think it's somewhere in the top 10. Travis Etienne on fourth and one and the call by Doug Peterson in that situation. Well, let me preview. Uh, You always ask me at the end what's coming up on Jaguars.com in the next day or two. The film room segment that Jeff Lagerman does that I air in Jags Wired on Wednesdays and is up on social media is with Phil Rauscher, and he talks about going to a throwback formation. Throwback, wing T. Um, it's it's great television. Um, I would put that play because of the magnitude. And by that time, Fred Taylor and I were on the field and standing there and watched it happen. And you could feel the tension. It's fourth down. The come from behind opportunity is right there at your feet. You have to get this first down. Jaguars hadn't been very good at quarterback sneaks. You know, Doug Peterson said that himself. And then they pull this one out. I mean, the stones that it takes 
to try to outrun linebackers to the corner like that. But you go back and watch it. Chris Manhurts and Zay Jones each got their blocks perfectly. And then, of course, ETN does what ETN does, explodes. What a moment. It's, it's, I mean, it's up there. It's absolutely top 10. I don't want to take away from any other play. Um, it is among the greatest moments in Jaguars history, for sure. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Brian, I asked Leon seriously this on the fifth quarter, uh, early, early Sunday morning when we were on following the game, where this win ranks in the best wins in franchise history. And I asked him flat out, 96 Denver, your thoughts. And he said, look, it's absolutely in the conversation. Now, 96 Denver, they were a two-touchdown dog. They were in mile high. John Elway, we get it. But this win is probably, if not number one, Brian, probably just underneath that Denver win as far as the significance with the comeback that unfolded. It's number two. Denver Denver is number one uh, for what that meant for that football team and it put them in the AFC championship game. Now you go and win in Kansas City this week. Well, that'll be that'll be number one, right? Um, uh, it, but this is the it's obviously the biggest home moment since Morton Anderson, um, and it's right there with the biggest of the big. I would say it's number two on my list on Brian Sexton's list of big games. Um, this one is number two. You know, Brian, it's interesting <clears throat> that they're going back to Kansas City this week because you think back to 2018 when the wheels fell out from under this organization. They were 3-1 and one in 2018 coming off the AFC Championship game the week or the year prior. They go to Kansas City. That was the infamous Bortles where he threw the ball off the O-lineman's helmet, was picked. It was a disaster at Arrowhead. They lost the game. And they basically never recovered. And then even bring it to this year, November 13th, 3-6, and six, they go to Kansas City, don't play all that bad, but they lose and they're 3-7. and seven. And if I would have told you walking off the field at Arrowhead that, you know what, they're 3-7, and seven, but on January 21st, they're going to come back here for the AFC Divisional Playoff, Brian, I, I would not have believed myself. What would you have thought at that time? Well, I, I wouldn't have believed it either because at that point they were not playing complimentary football, right? The defense was not getting the ball back to the quarterback. They weren't giving him short fields and extra possessions. The quarterback was wildly inconsistent. And at that point he had a, a flair for the dramatic, right? The 18 play drive in Indianapolis and the defense couldn't hold up. Uh, you know, the fourth quarter lead in Washington on opening day and the defense couldn't hold up. They just hadn't quite figured out that complimentary angle that Doug Peterson talks so much about in the first two months of the season. But they figured it out shortly after that and started to get things rolling after the loss in Detroit. So, you know, I, in, in the back of my mind, I probably would have sensed, yeah, you know, I mean, it's possible, but I didn't see it likely. And it goes to the coaching job that Doug Peterson has done. Uh, and Tony Dungy told us on drive time last week, that he voted for Doug for coach of the year. Man, if I had a vote in that AP vote, I would vote for him as well. Because where this team was and where this team is, is so night and day. And I'm not just talking in terms of the record. I'm talking in terms of the confidence level, the preparation level. I mean, these guys have learned over the last eight weeks how you prepare as a professional to play on Sunday. That takes time. This is the third youngest team in football. But he got them there this year. I didn't know that was possible. What a tremendous job. 
And the last eight weeks, I've seen the transformation of this team. More importantly, though, Ryan, this quarterback. I mean, what we saw on Saturday night. And then, of course, he dunked on the rest of the NFL when he shows up at uh, the Waffle House (laughs) in Jack's Beach, you know, at 2 o'clock in the morning. I mean, when we look at this franchise and its history and its growth years from now, this moment, this weekend, this season – will be that cauldron where we put all the ingredients in and the soup finally came together. Um, Hey, look, I've been saying the golden age of football in Jacksonville is just beginning. And I've been hoping that was the case. Trevor proved on Saturday night. No, that is absolutely the case. A couple of more for Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Brian, last week we talked about week three against the Chargers and how that was so long ago that you really can't take much out of that. Well, there's another rematch, and the game against Kansas City was much more recent, November 13th, two months and some change ago. What, if anything, can the Jaguars take out of November 13th to use it on Saturday afternoon? That they can't score enough points. In other words, if you think getting to 28 is enough, you better go and get the ball back on defense and give the offense one more opportunity. I mean, you you can't score enough points to beat Kansas City. And you look at their record and people who are listening to this say, of course, no duh. You, you, you have to score as many as possible. But, you know, that isn't how NFL teams do it, right? When the Jaguars went to play the Texans at the end of the season, they didn't say, hey, balls to the wall, let's go score as many as we can. They said, let's score what we need and let's win, right? There are certain game plans where you don't just let it all air out. In Kansas City, you better. You better be ready to go and score 35 to 38 points if you want a chance to win. Because we saw last year what that quarterback can do with 13 seconds left in the game. He's the only quarterback over 5,000 passing yards. He's the only quarterback over 40 touchdowns this year. He's an amazing talent. They've got the best game day mind, I think, in Andy Reid, which is, by the way, Doug's mentor. Um, you better be ready to go score, and you got to let it all hang out. Let's go. You know, I think you beat to beat Tennessee, and I think a lot of people were satisfied with that. I was of the opinion that LA's coming in here with very little playoff experience as well. Uh, they lost Mike Williams. You're at home, first prime time game, and then primarily the way the first half went, I'm like, oh man, this is going to leave an awful taste in the mouth during this off season. But then they come back and they do what they did last week. Now, obviously, the players, the organization, the coaching staff, I'm taking them out of the equation. You and I are talking directly to the fan base. Do you get the sense that the fan base believes whatever happens in Kansas City doesn't really matter because it's a house money situation at this point? You know, Ryan, you do a daily show, so you're probably a little better connected. Let me answer it this way. I think the people that I talk to when I'm at Publix, right, the people that that I see walking their dogs in the morning that want to talk, they're thrilled with where this franchise is. They're excited about the development of the quarterback. They're really grateful that there's a coach of Doug Peterson's caliber running the program. They feel really good. Um, But I don't get the sense that the fan base is ready to see this thing end. And so if they lose on Saturday, there will be some people who will be sick to their stomach on Sunday. Now, when they wake up on Monday and have a perspective of, I can't wait till next year, 100%. 
but these players in this locker Evan Ingram was with Fred and I on the field on Sunday. And I had my arm around him because I was trying not to let him go as, as I was doing the conversation. He grabbed me back, put his arm around me and said, you know, we're far from done. That's the mentality that this team has. And you got to have that. And I think that's the mentality the fan base has. Ryan, listen, at halftime, I'm up in the West Club with Fred. And I'm looking at the ramps, waiting for people to start coming out. It was cold. They were down 27 to 7. I wouldn't have blamed anybody for leaving. And yet, it was just a few older folks here and there who were leaving the cold air and going home. When I got to the field with two minutes and change left to play, those towels were twirling. There was people everywhere. So, no. I don't think the fan base has any thought that house money is in play here. They believe in their quarterback and they believe in their team and they want to see their team win. Brian, final, final thought. Um, last week I asked you about Shad Khan. I want to ask yeah. you about Trent Balky this week. Okay. Um, he was put through the ringer. Let's be honest. A year ago, people were dressing up as clowns. And I, at the time, and I thought that was ridiculous. I still think it's ridiculous. I, I understood the fans' frustration but the frustration should have been at a lot of other people and not at a guy that was only here for two years in Trent Baalke. Yep. He was the last guy in the room, and once Urban left and, and there was no more bullets to be fired his direction, you had to you had to find somebody, and it was Baalke. Having said that, the emotion on that man's face, the last two wins against Tennessee and Los Angeles, it's been unbelievable. What do you think this run has meant to Trent Baalke? I know what it's meant to him because I have taken the time to get to know him. And I didn't know him a year ago. COVID kept him away from a lot of people. Um, and, and there's a lot of people in the media that will tell you that they really appreciate him for the candidness that he shows when he comes and does an off the record segment with us. Right. Um, it means everything to him because he understands that his reputation in the league was tarnished by the relationship that went south with Jim Harbaugh. But we all have those things happen to us. There are people in every one of our lives who we can say, I wish I had handled that situation better. And the same is true for Trent Baalke. And he didn't think it was fair, even though he didn't say anything. But he didn't think that it was fair that one relationship should so tarnish his reputation that he didn't get the chance to try again, to have another opportunity. And he earned that chance and and he earned the owner's trust and you can see why hey look free agency's tough but look at the free agents he's brought in here the last two years look at the guys who are contributing and and you can look at just the three receivers off the top although marvin jones is the fourth and all of those guys are free agents and all have had big years look at roy robertson harris look at brandon sheriff right look at ray sean jenkins yep shaq griffin didn't work out but if you list all the free agents Foye Oluwakon, Holy Fatukasi, done a hell of a job. And the draft, everybody wanted to just pour cold water on Trayvon Walker. They're not now. They are not now. Can Walker play better? Yep. And and I can tell you, Tread Balky expects that he will play better. Um, I, I, I thought that the vitriol that was shown to him was incredibly over the top. And he was that guy in the spot with a franchise that had suffered for so long that he took the heat. 
and he never said anything, right? He didn't come out and defend himself publicly. He didn't lash back out at people. He just went on and did his job. So I'm not asking people to apologize to Trent, and he isn't either. But how about a, a tip of the hat to a guy who just put his head down and did his job and built a, a roster that Doug Peterson has then turned into a playoff team and a division title winner. Well, he's done a good job, and people should give him a clean slate because I think he's earned it. It has been an amazing, amazing run by this football team. I'll tell you what else, too. You guys at Jaguars.com are setting the bar higher every week, from the hype videos to the video production you guys do with the team coming in the locker room, off the field. I mean, it's appointment viewing for me on social media now, the digital team over there. I absolutely love it. Cannot wait for what you guys have this week. You gave us a little teaser earlier, Brian. What else is coming up in anticipation of this game in Kansas City on Saturday? Well, before we get there, the film room segment that Jeff does with Rousher is, I mean, just people are going to really enjoy that. Wait for sounds of the game that will uh, that will come out to the web and will air uh, on Jags Wired on Wednesday night. Um, what that crew does, led by Trent Padilla, and the effort, and it's artistic what they do, how they go and put together. They get on the road, and they're out in New York City getting a shot of the rain falling on a street corner because it adds to the element it adds to the emotion of the piece they sell out for that piece and it is so good and i look forward to it every week and if i thought the titans win was great and it was wait till you see this week's absolutely cannot wait brian sexton jaguars.com brian this seems to be working all right let's go to kansas city let's get a w and then you and i'll talk afc championship game one week from today how about that you know where to find me. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Final game of Super Wild Card Weekend going on in Tampa right now. The Cowboys strike first. Dak Prescott to Dalton Schultz. They do miss the extra point. Dallas 6 nothing over Tampa. Late in the first quarter, however, the Buccaneers are driving. They have the ball at the Dallas, uh, let's see, 22-yard line, trailing 6-0 late in the first quarter. We'll keep you updated. You know, we talk so much about the Jaguars and the Chargers the entire weekend. It's phenomenal. Phenomenal games. I guess the most lopsided one was San Francisco-Seattle, but even that one was a good game late in the third quarter. Then you go to Jacksonville and L.A., obviously historic, third biggest comeback in the history of the NFL postseason. Yesterday, Buffalo, well, I don't know about Buffalo. Starting to have some questions, uh, particularly around Josh Allen. He just hasn't been playing very well the last couple of weeks. They won. It is survive in advance. Uh, But again, Not probably the performance they were hoping, a 34-31 win over the Miami Dolphins. How about the New York flipping Giants going to Minnesota and knocking off the Vikings? Brian Dable probably cements himself as coach of the year. 
Um, Doug Peterson deserves to be coach of the year, but one coach is in New York, the other coach is in Jacksonville. Both, regardless of what happens, have done phenomenal jobs. The Giants were awful for the last few years. The Jaguars were awful for the last few years. And the fact the Giants and the Jaguars are two of the last eight teams standing, unbelievable job by both of those guys. And then last night, Baltimore-Cincinnati, Baltimore with a backup quarterback, gave Cincinnati everything they wanted, and it was a Cincinnati defense that won the game for them. So a great Super Wild Card weekend being capped off right now. Tampa Bay does have a first and goal as they are inside the Cowboy 10-yard line, trailing 6-0. That appears to be the final play of the first quarter. Remember, in the 9 o'clock hour, Monday night coaching, with Campo, our man Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, also Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. We got a lot to do, Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us. One hour down, one hour to go. We're with you till 10 o'clock tonight on a Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Nine o'clock hour is here, Hacker After Dark. Boy, Tom Brady, not good. Picked off in the end zone. Dallas gets the ball. The Buccaneers do not get any points after what was a very good drive to that point. Dallas still a 6-0 lead on Tampa. They have the ball around their own 31 32-yard line with a first and 10 uh, just at the start of the second quarter. Of course, Tom Brady now will have to channel his inner Trevor Lawrence to get over that interception. Again, Trevor, four picks and doesn't blink, as Evan Ingram said many times in the postgame and just kept chucking it down the field. And for everybody, and I know I've harped on this a lot this year, but good grief. For anybody back in March, April, May that were giving the Jaguars the business about signing Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, and Christian Kirk, House 25 catches for 240 yards and three touchdowns go because that's what those three guys combined on Saturday night in the win over the Chargers. Absolutely, absolutely incredible. So, we begin shifting our focus to Kansas City as we move along this week. We're going to have Monday Night Coaching with Campo, our man Dave Campo. We'll still look back at the Charger game, no question. But as Doug Peterson said, so what, now what? I mean, heck, guys, it's January the 16th. And the Jacksonville Jaguars, after tonight, will be one of only eight NFL teams still playing. That Kansas City game is going to get here quick. Denmark, of course, the Jaguars on Friday this week. They don't get the luxury of being at home on Friday. You only have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to go before you have to get on an airplane. There's no doubt about it. On Friday and fly to Kansas City, I think a lot of Jaguar fans are making that trip. I know the Bold City Brigade's got something planned. I've seen some other Jaguar fans on social media. There will be some teal in Arrowhead Stadium, no question about that. The Chiefs open as a nine-point favorite. Nine-point favorite 
over the Jacksonville Jaguars, and at least what I was told earlier on sports radio in Kansas City when I went on there this afternoon, is Chief fans believe this will be pretty easy on Saturday. We'll see. That's why they play the games. Dave Campo, Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. We got a jam-packed 9 o'clock hour in Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us. We're streaming on YouTube. Search 1010XL on YouTube. You'll see Hacker After Dark there until 10 o'clock tonight. Likewise, on Twitter, at 1010XL on Twitter, you'll see the show there until 10 o'clock this evening. With Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. So glad you're with us on a Monday night here in Jacksonville. Dave Campo coming up next on Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Chiefs. Saturday, 4.30, you'll get the game right here on 1010XL in the AFC Divisional Playoffs. Are you kidding me? Let's talk about all of it with our head coach here on Hacker After Dark, Dave Campo, formerly of the Dallas Cowboys. He's always kind enough to join us here on Monday evenings. Coach, how we doing, bud? I'm fantastic, you know, especially with that win for the city, for the for the uh, organization and especially for the players and the coaching staff. I, I'm, I, I'm just uh, overjoyed. That was a great win and uh, rightfully so, because I think we have a good football team and I don't think we're going to take a back seat to anybody. Coach, you've been around the game for a long time. Um, down 27, minus five in the turnover differential. Have you ever seen anything like that for a team to come back and win under those circumstances? Well, you know, I've seen it. I've never been involved in it. You know, the year we went to the Super Bowl in 92, the first one, uh, the uh, AFC championship game, Houston was ahead by 32 points. And uh, the uh, Buffalo Bills came back and won that football game. And then we ended up playing them in the Super Bowl. And that's the longest, that's the biggest upset in playoff history. So, or the biggest comeback. And uh, but I've never been involved in one like that. That was just unbelievable. I consider myself involved now because I was really into that game. And uh, so I feel like I'm still coaching. All right. So you look this year down 17 to Las Vegas. They come back and win down 17 to Dallas. They come back and win down 10 to Tennessee. They come back and win down nine to Baltimore. They come back and win down 27 to the Chargers. They come back and win. Coach, at a certain point, it's no longer a fluke. At a certain point, it's no longer a trend. At a certain point, that's who this team is, and they seemingly play the best under very bad circumstances. Well, it just goes to show you, I mean, it started when they went on the winning streak. You know, right from the beginning, their backs have been against the wall. If they were going to, and, and the thing that interested me the most is I heard a number of times on shows on, on uh, 1010 and 92.5 FM uh, that, you know, the, the Mia O'Brien being in the locker room, everybody, the press conferences, everybody was saying, we still have a chance to do what we want to do this year. We have a chance. We have a chance. We've got to take care of our own business. And this team has played well with their backs against the wall from that time on. So 
it doesn't surprise me now, and, and it shouldn't surprise anybody. This football team is resilient. They have belief in what they're doing. They believe in each other. They believe in the coaching staff, and they believe in the quarterback. And you can't emphasize that enough, Hack. Monday Night Coaching with Campo, our man Dave Campo, here with us on Hacker After Dark. Coach, let's talk about Trevor. Four first-half interceptions, and quite frankly, he was uh, he was awful. I mean, let's, let's call it what it is. In the second half, or really at the end of the first half, with that touchdown, which I know you're going to bring up, and then ultimately uh, starting in the third quarter, I mean, he might as well have been Joe Montana, Tom Brady, and and Peyton Manning rolled into one. How are you so bad for the first 25 minutes of the game and damn near flawless for the next 35 minutes? Well, here's how I characterize it. First of all, I think the, there, there are good coaches on every team in this league. And I think uh, the Chargers uh, came out. They had a pretty good understanding of, of what we were going to do. And uh, I can characterize the interceptions. The first one was a great coaching job because as soon as that defensive end read read option and the back's angle is different in a read option and he can see the quarterback looking at him, he knew it was a slant and he backed right off and got in the throwing lane and tipped it to the linebacker. The second one, there was no question. They came with an inside blitz, and the guy was clean, and the throw was still a good throw, but they were sitting on all the routes because that's us. And they sat on them, and they were not concerned about the deep ball at that time, and there was a pass interference on the second one. The third interception was just a bad read. They went to cover two, which they don't play very much, and he read the out by uh, – uh, the inside receiver, and he didn't see the corner squatted, and he threw it to him. So that's on Trevor. And then the fourth one was just a frustration throw, in my opinion, uh, where he tried to throw it into a, a situation where uh, Asante Samuel had sat on number 17, Ingram, and he made a great play. So now, you know, you either look at it like I'm terrible or you look at it like, hey, they did a pretty good job, but – I wasn't at my best, and I've got to come out and do everything in the second half, and that's exactly what he did. And scoring before the half, you know that that's my thing. You know, every tip sheet that I ever gave to any of my players before a game, one of the top ones was don't give up points in the two-minute drill at the end of the first half because ultimately those points uh, are involved if you're going to win. And uh, so – he came out in the second half. He's got a lot of confidence in himself, and he heated up. And the and I'll be honest with you, once we started scoring, San Diego backed off a little bit on sitting on those routes because they were worried about the big play. And now we started running the ball and and throwing, uh, you know, the quick passes, and and a lot of run after catch came from there. You know, obviously you don't know what was said, but you have been a head coach in this league. You've been around the game forever, so you got a great perspective. Uh, if you're Doug Peterson, if you're Press Taylor, if you're Mike McCoy, after interception number four, Trevor comes over to the sideline. I mean, what what do you say in that situation? Because obviously, after that fourth interception, Trevor was basically flawless. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, you know, when he comes off after the fourth one, the only thing you can do is, hey, hang in there, relax. We're going to get to half, and, and we're going to be able to correct some things Everything's going to be fine. We just have – and then coming in, you know, Doug said it himself, 
going into the locker room when he said, we've got to just chip away. We've got to chip away and go from there. And, and that's exactly the approach. We've just got to be ourselves. We've got to settle down. We've got to make sure that we, you know, make plays when we have the opportunity. And the other guy that really said something that resonated with me that, that uh, was uh, Tony Dungy at halftime. He made the comment that the first two drives – were really important in the second half because you've got to get a stop since they were on defense and you have to score. And if you do that, you've got a chance to come from behind because now the score is manageable, and that's exactly what happened. Our head coach here on Hacker After Dark, Dave Campo, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Coach, you're a defensive guy, no question about that, and the defense got after it in the second half. I mean, the Chargers put up 27 points in large part because of all the turnovers. They put up three in the second half. Again, Mike Caldwell goes in there at, at halftime, and we've seen this. We saw it against Las Vegas. We saw it uh, to a certain extent against Dallas, and the problems in the first half get corrected in the second half, and the defense was very, very good. Well, they've done that right along. You know, that's something that, you know, you'd like to get started a little earlier on both sides of the ball. But uh, this team has an identity. But the one thing about the second half was I'm sure they said in the locker room, guys, we've got we've to get a bunch of stops here and get the ball for the, for the offense. And they probably have to score uh, on almost every drive. So we're going to be a little bit more aggressive in the second half. And they came with a little bit more blitz and a little bit more five-man pressure in the second half. And I think that was a, a pretty good, uh, you know, uh, indicator of how they were going to play in the second half. And then we got some key situations. You know, we got a sack by Fadakoski on uh, five-man pressure, which uh, our man number 44 negated with a personal foul. But that was just an example of it. And uh, – uh, our guy uh, Robinson Harris uh, was was a, a demon in the second half. They could not run the ball in the second half, and then we started teeing off a little bit more. And, and uh, you know, he had some batted down passes, some quarterback hits, and and a, a couple of sacks. Coach, if I were to tell you back on November the thirteenth, when the Jaguars lost to Kansas City to fall to three and seven that on January 21st they would go back to Arrowhead Stadium in the AFC Divisional Playoffs. What would you have said to me at that time? Well, I probably already said it. Uh, you know, we've got to worry about, you know, how we progress with the quarterback and how we progress with the, with the team uh, going into next year. Because, you know, I've been in that situation now where we, you know, we've mentioned uh, we were 3-7 and seven in Dallas and came back and – missed the playoff by a field goal and then the next year to the playoffs and the next year, the Super Bowl. So this team's a year ahead. And up until that point, even Kansas city, we missed three field goals, excuse me, we missed two field goals. And in that game, every game up to that point had been one score game. So I knew that we were, we had a chance to, to, to do better. I didn't think we could win them all. They, they didn't win them all, but they won six of them. And, and that's a credit to them. Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. All right, Coach, last week we talked about week three. didn't really matter because it was so long ago. That was the first meeting between the Jaguars and the Chargers. The Jaguars and the Chiefs played about two months ago. 
how much of that game, really from Kansas City and Jacksonville's perspective, quite frankly, how much of that game a little over two months ago can be used to be prepared for Saturday's uh, ball game? Well, just beyond, uh, you know, the confidence that you can line up against them as far as our team is concerned. You know, there's no question that uh, they feel like right now uh, that they can beat anybody. And that's the attitude this football team has. So, you know, how they played against them is probably not as important. You know, you see some scheme things. You might see some, uh, you know, tendencies and, and things that they carry, you know, the, uh, that Kansas City carries through the entire year, both on offense and defense. But what really matters is what they've done over the last four or five games because that's what they're going to be studying. And, uh, you know, they're gonna, we're going to do a, a good self-scout of ourselves going into the ball game, and things have got to change a little bit, and things are going to change for them. But the confidence situation, there's no question that, that that's, that's a plus. They have some great players. You know, they've got some receivers that can make things happen. Pacheco is, is you know, they don't run the ball, but they can run the ball. And the pass sets that up. So they can do that. You've got to control that. And uh, on defense, they've got a, a certified, certified uh, stud in Chris Jones. 15 and a half sacks. Two, uh, 17 tackle for losses and 27 quarterback hits. So they've got their hands full, but they feel confident that they can go in there and play. If we play our game, we've got a chance to win. Coach, there's no doubt that the Kansas City Chiefs have had a, an off week. They got the bye. They earned that as the number one seed while Jacksonville had to play on Saturday. This week and preparing for the game, does Doug Peterson – go lighter than normal to get the guys their rest and their legs back knowing Kansas City has had this extra time off? Well, he might cut a few plays, but not many. You know, this is a situation now where they have the momentum. It was just like playing the guys as long as he did in the game before the game against the Titans. You got to go in, uh, you know, you got to use what you got going in. That second half was great momentum. And, you know, they're going to practice how they're not going to change much of anything getting ready for this football game. It's going to be business as usual as far as that goes. Uh, he's going to implore the guys to, you know, maybe even spend a little bit more time on film, uh, get a feel for who you're playing against, because it's going to, going to come down to one guy, you know, beating the guy in front of him one way or another, the game of football. And, you know, those kind of things are not going to change. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the key thing is, Keep the momentum going, and let's roll. You know, you look at Arrowhead Stadium, Coach. You've been to every NFL stadium. Arrowhead Stadium is known to be a very tough environment, be very loud. I actually think the Jaguars might have gotten two breaks. Projected weather out there on Saturday is in the mid to high 30s. It's certainly been a lot colder than that in Kansas City over the years in January. So mid to high 30s. And the game will kick off in the afternoon. It will not be under the lights. So if you're looking for positives, having to go on the road, a little bit warmer than maybe you would think Kansas City would be in January. The first part of the game, not in prime time. I don't know. Maybe I'm grasping at straws, but I think that might be at least something for Jaguar fans to think about heading into Saturday. Well, you're right. I mean, you're going to look at that and you're going to say, you know, uh, you know, I know our guys don't want to play in in 20 degree, 15 degree, wind chill, minus two weather. You know, there's no question that the better the weather is, 
normally the better your team is going to play. So I can promise you it's going to be warmer in Kansas City than it would have been if we're going to Buffalo. Yeah. So, yeah. so you know, that is a plus. But, again, it's going to come down to, you know, us. You know, what we do, uh, you know, we're going to have to handle the blitzes. You know, they're a blitz team. You know, they they don't have any problem. They're, a lot of their sacks have come out of the secondary. So they just have to study them. And then we have to take care of our business, and 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 then you ch- let the chips fall where they may. Uh, I, again, I feel like this team is a good football team right now. Uh, do they make mistakes? Yes, a few. But if they take care of their own business, they're going to be in this game, and it's going to be a it's going to be a dogfight. Final moments here with Dave Campo. The coaching matchup we talked about it back in November. It's just awesome. Two guys that. One day we'll probably be in Canton, Ohio. Certainly Andy Reid will be, and Doug Peterson continues this. He will be as well. I mean, what can you say for these two guys? They're friends. They know each other, and uh, they're going to get after it on Saturday. But there won't be a lot of surprises, I don't think, Coach. When you have a friendship with another head coach, you know the inside and outs of what they like to do. I wouldn't think either Reid or Peterson is going to catch the other one too off guard. Yeah, I don't think there's an edge there. The only thing I would say is that uh, Reed was the was the master, and Peterson was the student. Sometimes the student gets more out of it than the master does, because Peterson probably has evolved from that as a backup quarterback all the way through an assistant and and to another uh, situation in Philly. He's probably evolved with things, whereas Andy is pretty much the same that he was when we played against him. You know, I feel like I know Andy. Uh, And so there might be a little edge for Doug Peterson, but uh, you don't bet against Andy Reid as far as his ability to game manage and, and, you know, be uh, innovative uh, on the offensive side of the ball for sure. Coach, as we wrap up, and again, you and I, Leon Searcy, will have a fifth quarter. On Saturday, two hours after the Jaguars and the Chiefs go final, we're projecting probably about 9.30 on Saturday night, and oh my goodness, can they get another one? Are you kidding me? But you and I had the conversation last week prior to the fifth quarter following the Charger game, and I think we were in agreement, but, but let's, let's, let's ask, or I'll ask you again. All right, so they beat the Titans to win the South. I think a lot of people at that point thought, you know, the playoffs were house money is how we referred to it last week. To me, you're playing a home game at night, first home primetime game in history, against a Charger team that didn't have a lot of postseason experience, and that was without Mike Williams. And the way that I thought they were going to lose that game when it was 27 nothing was that was going to be a brutal way to go into the offseason. But you come back, you have the most miraculous comeback in franchise history and the third greatest postseason comeback in NFL history. And, Coach, the players don't think this, the coaches don't think this, but you and I are talking to the fans right now here on 1010XL. Is it house money at this point with with everything the Jaguars have accomplished? When they go to Arrowhead on Saturday, do they have don't have a whole lot to lose, in your opinion? Well, first of all, I'm going to speak to you as a fan. If the fans, if we aren't completely enamored by what this football team has done, and what the future holds with this quarterback 
and with you know another draft and another free agency, then we're not looking at the same game. So as far as we're concerned, it is house money because whatever happens in the football game, the 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 light is coming on and it's uh it's a it's a spotlight. It's not a lamp. It's a spotlight on what this team can do in the future. So that really is a plus. Now, as far as the football team is concerned and the coaches, if if we don't win, we're going to be extremely disappointed because I, I believe that these guys believe that they're going to go in there and win this football game. And, and I would not be a bit surprised if that happens. Jaguars and the Chiefs, Saturday, 430. You'll get the game right here on 1010XL. Our head coach all season long, Dave Campo. Coach, thank you as always. I will talk to you Saturday night on the fifth quarter. And if you and I and Leon Searcy are talking about a win and advancing to the AFC championship game, oh, my goodness. I can't even imagine what that fifth quarter will be like. We'll talk to you soon, Coach. Thank you, and I, and, and, and uh, I, I kind of think that's what's going to happen. Whoa, are you calling your shot, Coach Campo? <laughs> I never call a shot because I'm never right, so it's just what I'm thinking. Beautiful. We'll take it. Thank you, Coach. You got it, Doc. Have a great week. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Chiefs, Saturday afternoon, 4.30. You'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Let's talk a little Jaguars football, how on earth we got to this point, and what to expect on Saturday afternoon with Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Demetrius, what's going on, man? Nothing much. I'm still recovering from covering that game. It was um, incredible, and and I don't think I'll ever cover a game like that again. Demetrius, as you're sitting there watching that transpire, well, let's begin at the beginning. As you watch the nightmare of the first 28 minutes, and you're around this team all day, all week, all month, all season long, how shocked were you that 28 minutes into the game, it's 27 nothing Chargers? It was stunning. You know, I, I, I don't think anybody could have ever anticipated five turnovers in the first half, four interceptions, you know, the interception on the second play of the game. Um, it was it was a nightmare game for them. You know, at, at, at that time, it was, wow, if, if it couldn't have gone any worse. I mean, the, this this was probably the worst start that any team has had this season. You know, the worst first half um, I've, I think I've ever seen the Jaguars have, and, and they've had some uh, incredibly bad first halves in, in in the past. So, you know, it was just absolutely stunning. I, I couldn't have anticipated that. So um, for them to be able to, you know, bounce back, it was incredible. You know, it's easy to say this now, and I don't have a lot of witnesses. I got my Boston Terrier and my three-year-old, so I don't know if he would ba- vouch for me on this. But with two minutes to go, the Chargers had a third and one deep in their own territory. And for some reason, Demetrius, they got cute. And they ran a little end around, they got fumbled, they recovered, but they ultimately had to punt. And I'm sitting there thinking, all right, if Jacksonville can go down and get a touchdown and make it 27-7, that at least is something going into the locker room. And sure enough, that's what happened, Lawrence to Ingram. And boy, you got to wonder, if, if the Chargers convert a third down and a foot instead of getting cute, I'm not sure we're talking about going to Kansas City right now. Yeah, 
no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, I'm, I'm actually doing something on all of the little things that sort of how to go the, the, the Jaguars way in order for that comeback to even be possible for them to win that game. Um, that's exactly one of them, you know, them fumbling and, and sort of derailing that drive. Um, basically would have probably ended up, you know, killing all all the rest of the clock. They would have been at halftime at 27-0, and that would have been that. Um, but, you know, instead they fumble, and then, you know, they the Jags force them to punt. Um, the Jaguars get the ball back, and then they score. So, you know, those are the little things that, that sort of added up for them to actually have a successful comeback. And, you know, it, it, it just goes to show, you know, sometimes the ball just has to bounce your way. I think that the Jags just didn't have that happen early in the season. They had the opposite happen. Um, in this game, everything sort of worked out perfectly. Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. Demetrius, how do you explain the first 28 minutes for Trevor Lawrence, followed by a 32-minute stretch that might be the best quarterback play we've ever seen in Jaguar history. It's honestly incredible. It, it, you know, it, I was sitting back there after the game, and, you know, we have to write our game stories or whatever you're going to do, and I was just like, I don't know how to even um, verbalize this, you know, or how to, how to write this, because it was so incredible. It was almost like an encapsulation of their entire season. If you take it and you make it into one game, you know, Trevor Lawrence struggles. All of a sudden, Trevor Lawrence looks like, you know, the next great quarterback. If you put that just in one game, that's exactly what you got. Um, that first half was as disastrous as it could have been for Trevor, and he even said it after the game that was the worst first half or the worst half of football he's ever played in his life. And I agree with him. You know, it, it just it just so happened. You know, the four interceptions, one of them was a tipped pass, one of them – uh, probably miscommunication or something. Another one, the Chargers just played really well, and and who knows about the the the, the last one. But you know, for him to be able to bounce back, um, it's just it's just a testament to you know what this team sort of is about. They they've they've done it before. It's not like they haven't done something. Uh, I, I don't. It, it's hard to say similar, you know. But you know, against the Cowboys, for example, against the Ravens, um, against the Raiders, you know, they they bounced back before. But for for them to bounce back um, from that, it was just unbelievable. Well, no, and I look at a couple of things too. I, I look at Ingram, Zay Jones, and Christian Kirk, and I know you and I have talked about those three guys this year. But here it is: the playoffs, and I want to say. Um, I know Ingram had never been to the postseason. I don't know about the other two, but, you know, you look at it, 25 catches combined for those three guys, almost, what, 240-some-odd yards and three touchdowns. I mean, those three first-year Jaguars played out of their minds on Saturday night. Absolutely. You know, and, and you talk about – um, those three in particular, I mean, when they signed, all of them, you know, there was some backlash. Christian Kirk, too much money. Zay Jones, you know, he's nothing more than a fourth wide receiver at best. Evan Ingram, he has all the drops. He's a bust. Um, but all three of those guys were, you know, paramount to their success, not only this season, but obviously in the game too. Um, I, I, I do know that Kirk has played in a playoff game. Zay has played in a couple. He actually played in the one – here in Jacksonville in 2017, um, but 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 that was his probably besides the Raiders game last year. That was his most extensive playing um, for a playoff team, and 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 just the 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 plays that they made. Evan Ingram at the end, you know, that was something they desperately needed. Obviously, 
Um, Zay Jones getting wide open, you know, and he described it after the game as a play that Trevor basically checked into himself. You know, he killed a play, then checked into that. He saw something and it worked. I mean, that's that's incredible. And then obviously Christian Kirk with that uh, sensational catch, honestly, in on the right um, the right part of the end zone. Um, just just a, a clutch play, another play that, you know, if they didn't have a Christian Kirk on the team, if they didn't have a Zay Jones on the team, if they didn't have an Evan Ingram, then where would they be now? So they're incredibly important. I think that those three um, probably are going to end up, you know, being, you know, a few of the MVPs, if you will, of this season for them. Demetrius, I want to get to the future here in a moment in Kansas City. Before we get there, you know, so much on the offense and with good reason. But that defensive performance in the second half, look, I understand Mike Williams was out, DeAndre Carter was out. But the last time I checked, that was still Justin Herbert. That was still Austin Eckler. That was still Keenan Allen, Joshua Palmer, Gerald Everett. They had guys out there. They had dudes out there. And the Charger offense did basically nothing in the third and fourth quarter. And if the defense doesn't play like that, it doesn't matter how well the offense played. The comeback was not going to happen. Absolutely not. And, you know, the defense in the first half, they were dealt, you know, the worst hand that, that you can possibly be dealt. And still, um, they held one of the drives to just a field goal after the, the Chargers got the interception. But, you know, two of the touchdowns that they gave up started at the Jaguars 18 yard line and then again at the Jaguars 16 yard line. I mean, it's impossible to to defend that. You know, five turnovers and they were able to hold their own in the second half. You know, they they forced them to punt twice. They forced them into a field goal situation. You know, those those are um, elite performances out of that Jaguars defense. It, without the Jaguars defense, you know, coming up big, that game is, is not going to be played the way it is. The Jaguars want to win, and we wouldn't even be talking about it right now. Um, just just an incredible effort. I think that one of the players who probably showed out the most, and he has over the past couple games, is, is obviously um, Roy Robertson-Harris. He had that crucial sack on Justin Herbert um, right before the Jaguars got the ball back near the end of the game. Um, just, you know, a couple of those kind of guys, a couple of those plays that, that they made. I mean, um, the Jaguars defense, I know that in the middle of the season, everybody was criticizing them, including myself. You know, they were giving up too many yards, too many points, um, didn't give the offense a chance. But now they seem to have gelled, figured it out. And, and, and what you see is, is what you get now. There were a lot of people, myself included, that thought because of the cap problems, the Jaguars have a little bit this offseason. Well, that's an easy fix. Griffin, Jenkins, Robertson, Harris, you save like $30 million. Griffin, absolutely, he, he's, he's gone. You got to rethink those other two because, Demetrius, I got to tell you, Rayshon Jenkins and Roy Robertson, Harris have been two of their best defensive players over the last six weeks. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think there's any way you can get rid of Jenkins now. Um, before, a, a few weeks ago, I would have said, you know, Roy Robertson, Harris, solid player, but, you know, I get if they move on, but now you're right. I mean, if you move on from him, how do you even uh, replace him? So, yeah, I, I think that, you know, those two guys probably should stick around. I don't think you save too, too much by keeping um, Roy or, or or by cutting Roy, sorry. But, you know, even, even so, I think that he probably would require maybe an extension or um, just something else. I think they have to go elsewhere in order to clear up the space, and I think that's a good thing, actually. A couple of more for Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. All right, Demetrius, if I would have told you 
on November the 13th as the Jaguars were walking off the field at Arrowhead Stadium that they would return on January 21st for the AFC Divisional Playoffs. What would you have said to me at that time? I would have probably called you crazy. I, I At that point in the season, I think they dropped down to 3-7 and seven, um, going into the bye week. I, I had no faith, honestly, in them coming back and, and getting to the playoffs. Um, it just goes to show how different this is now with, with Doug Peterson, Trevor Lawrence playing how he is. You know, we talked last week um, about the week three game against the Chargers and the rematch and how you really can't take a lot out of that game because it was so long ago. Well, Kansas City was two months ago. That's a decent amount of time, but it's obviously much more recent than that Charger game. What can the Jaguars take out of November 13th to maybe use on Saturday afternoon? Yeah, I, I think they, they obviously started off well with the onside kick, but they execute after that. But um, they did some good things. You know, Trevor found his groove near the end of that game. They came back. Um, from down 20 to zero, you know, to make it 27, 17 at the end of that. I think that there's a lot of positives you can take away from that game. I, I know that um, Pacheco had a pretty good game that, that, that week, but you know, I, I do think that the Jaguars run defense um, has improved since then. I think that, you know, running the football has improved. Travis Etienne only had a 11 carries that game so you know if they could find a way to sort of control the ball a little bit better then you know anything could happen I, I feel like um if, if you if you look at the game back then uh and, and you look at you know maybe their Detroit Lions loss or or or, or something of that nature they're completely different games they, they they were in it it wasn't like they were completely outmatched so I think there's a lot of positives that you can take away Demetrius, one of the things I like about you when it comes to the print media here in town is I think you have a pretty good gauge about the Jaguar fans. You used to write for a fan website. You're now with the Florida Times Union, and you interact with fans on social media. So you got a pretty good feel for the way the fans feel. And I'm curious your perspective on this. After you beat Tennessee, there were some people last week that were saying, well, you're in the playoffs after 3-7, and seven, it's house money. My point last week was... I don't want to say that because the Chargers have very little playoff experience as well. You get them at home, at night, Mike Williams is out, plus the way it went down in the first half, I thought that would have been an awful way to end the year. After you have a comeback like that, now you're going to Arrowhead and nobody outside of Jacksonville is going to pick you to win from a fan perspective because obviously it's not the organization's thoughts, but we're talking to the fans right now. Is it house money? At this point, or do you think the fans believe there's there's more here for the Jaguars? I think absolutely they believe there's more now. I, I think um, you're right going into that wild card round. They're thinking, you know, we won the division. Um, that's that that's great. Look at the comeback. Fantastic. Doug Peterson is the coach. Trevor Lawrence is the quarterback. We're good for the future. Once they won in the fashion that they won, the comeback, uh, how special and how amazing they felt. Um, I, I feel like the fans want to continue this forward. I don't think that they feel like, oh, whatever happens, happens. You know, I think they want to win. Uh, there's a reason why the Bullet State Brigade is probably going to be taking a caravan, so to speak, up to Kansas City. Um, there's a reason why everybody's excited and wearing their Jaguar gear around town. They want to see how far this team can go. They feel it, you know, now that they've won against the Chargers, now that they've advanced in the playoffs, they're like, well, shoot, can we just go against anybody? I think that that's sort of the mindset of the fan right now. 
they think that this team can battle against anybody, and I don't necessarily think that they're too wrong. You know, Demetrius, uh, final moments here with Demetrius Harvey. I'm not sure if you're a superstitious man, but, <laughs> you know, you think of all the streaks that have been broken this year. Haven't won in Nashville in nine years. They win in Nashville. Hadn't beat the NFC East in like 20 games, or the NFC in like 20 games. They win a game against an NFC team. Hadn't won a true road game since December of 2019. They won several true road games. A lot of streaks have been broken. And the NFL just happens to schedule this game on January the 21st, which will be five years to the day that Miles Jack wasn't down in New England. And when I saw the schedule come out, I'm like, wow. Uh, I'm going to make that a talking point. Even if nobody else does, I'm going to make that a talking point. Maybe just a gigantic coincidence, but man, that would be something if they won a game of this magnitude on the five-year anniversary of one of the worst feelings in Jaguar fans' history. Wow. Yeah, that, that's a great callback. I didn't even consider it or, or think about that, so kudos to you for that one. Um, yeah, you're right. You know, how incredible would it be, you know, five years to the day for them to sort of um, exercise that demon? I feel like, you know, it, not many people talk about it as much as they did in, in the couple years after that Miles Jack wasn't down play, but uh, that's definitely going to be fresh on their minds once once they realize, you know, the, the significance of it. And I, I definitely agree with you. You know, that's, that, that's crazy. I think, you know, if, if they're able to pull it out, um, that will finally right that wrong, maybe. Um, I don't know if people want to go to the Super Bowl to to, to do that, but um, that's definitely something something crazy and, 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 and pretty cool. Demetrius, final thought. It's early in the week, but do you have a feel? I mean, what, what do you think in an arrowhead on Saturday? It's it, it, it's early. It's early, but, um, you know, for, for me, after like immediately after that game, once we figured out it was going to be in Kansas City, I was thinking, you know, hey, uh, this team has a chance against anybody. I don't necessarily think that they're going to go in and win for sure or anything like that. But, you know, I think that this team um, is special. It, it's different than any team that, that the Jaguars have had. Um, I wasn't in that Jaguars locker room in, in 2017, but from what I answer, uh, the, 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 this team is more together and it's more complete. They have a quarterback. I, I think that this is something where um, anything can happen. It's the playoffs. Um, you already saw that anything could happen last week, so there you go. Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. Demetrius, know you're very busy this week, man. We certainly appreciate it. Let's go to Kansas City. Let's get a victory, and maybe next week you and I can talk a little AFC championship. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you having me on. And thank you to Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark as we kick off what will be a crazy week here in Duval County as we get you ready for the Jaguars and the Chiefs, the AFC Divisional Playoffs, Saturday, 4.30, Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. You'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Pre-game coverage here on 1010XL will begin right around 11 o'clock on Saturday morning. Well, that should wrap things up for what has been a very, very busy edition of Hacker After Dark. Thank you guys for hanging out with us here tonight on 1010XL and on 92. Point five FM again, Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. Thank you to Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. And my man Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. We always love Monday night coaching with Campo here on Hacker After Dark. We'll be back tomorrow night, our late night. Are you kidding me? Where else would you rather be 
on a Tuesday from 10 o'clock to midnight than right here with Dylan Denmark and myself on Hacker After Dark, and we hope you join us then. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green and Jacksonville. Thank you for spending part of your Monday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Monday evening, and we will do it all over again on a Tuesday beginning at 10 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.